as a business owner, you spend a significant amount of time and money helping potential customers find your business. When you launch new marketing campaigns or products, do you have a plan in place for handling more calls and questions? Well, you don't need to hire and train someone. Just sign up for Abby Connect. Abby Connect provides business owners with a professional and courteous customer care team specifically trained on your business. There's over 100 hours per week of answering coverage included, but you get to choose exactly when you need the help. Abby's team can transfer calls to you in the office or on the go and can also send your call information via email, text, or even directly into your CRM. Clients of Abby Connect report a higher volume of new client call conversations, a more efficient workflow, less interruptions, and a renewed focus on the core of their business. I'm telling you, check out their reviews. With Abby Connect helping you with the calls, you can focus on your day-to-day operations and marketing your business knowing your callers are well taken care of. For my listeners, Abby Connect is offering a no-obligation free trial. And after your trial's over, my listeners also will receive 95 bucks off their first bill. But only when you sign up at my special link. It's abbyconnect slash elevate. I mean, it's abbyconnect.com slash elevate. So sign up today, abbyconnect.com slash elevate. That's E-L-E-V-A-T-E to begin having your phones answered today. So, dear listeners, as we get started here, you know, we always tell you strap something on, strap on your seatbelt, strap on your, your helmet. Um, but now, J-Bone and Kelsey are giving me words. It's like Mad Libs. <laughs> Mad Libs. I don't know what's coming. So, I got to look at it for about a second, then I got to read it. So, uh, here we go. Oh! <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So, be it, my friends. <laughs> Str- <laughs> well done, Jeremy. You can't, I knew you couldn't get through it. Yep. Here we go. Strap on your more. <laughs> Here we go one more time. Strap on your moist leaf. Your... <laughs> he loves moist. I love that word. Oh my God! We're about to discuss an amazing book that needs to be in your archive. You're about to hear that and so much more on today's episode of Entrepreneurship Elevated. Here we go. Mm. So it's right. leaf. <laughs> Moist leaf. Oh my God. Hi everyone. This is Mike Michalowicz here. I am the author on a mission to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. You know what that is. It's that gap between what the world perceives you're achieving, what you're really experiencing. The world thinks you have millions of dollars the day you start your business. You just hang out on the beach and do whatever. You don't need to work because you're an entrepreneur. The reality is most entrepreneurs make no money. We're working our tails off. We're impoverished on time. We're impoverished on money. We have nothing left to give. Well, we fix on this episode and every episode of Entrepreneurship Elevated. Welcome. Kels, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Good. That was great. I love this episode. Oh, God. You really just, you really just dig me. Dig into me. <laughs> you dig me and dig into me. Where am I? I'm missing some notes here. Well, tell me. You have to do your yeah. bit here. Well, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or any podcatcher anywhere. But you can also find us on entrepreneurshipelevatedpodcast.com. That's right. And don't forget to leave us a review. And just subscribe, right? Yes. Do the two big things. All right, guys. I, uh, I was trying to read notes and talk at the same time, which I can't talk, period. <laughs> so, Kels, I was listening to some past episodes. Yeah. And I can't understand a word I'm saying. I speak too quickly. I mumble. You make I, up words. I make up words. And you still, at least 
on the episodes, it sounds like you still understand what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, I know Mike speak. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised we have any subscri- <laughs> subscribers. I feel like we're the opposite. I'm a super slow talker, and you're a super fast talker. Really? Yeah. I thought you were a moderate speaker, spocker, speaker, spocker, <laughs> speaker, talker, speaker, spocker. The spocker. That's a great one, actually. Yeah, write like down spocker. spocker. I'm a spocker. Uh, <clears throat> Jer- J-Bone, I'm going to start with you. Here's the big question of the day. If there was one fast food restaurant you could devoid this world of ever having to experience again, which fast food restaurant would you remove permanently from this planet? I like that. Actually, ties into the kind of like the story I was going to tell you guys. If I, we got time, I don't know if we have time. We do. But, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. The J Bone story episode. Yes. Yeah. Um. So anyway, fast food wipe off the planet. I would say ugh, McDonald's. I don't. I don't really think they offer any value of anything. Yeah. That's yeah. mine too. It's definitely my least favorite. So I still frequent McDonald's occasionally. Um. So I can't take it off the planet. I, I think Wendy's. I just really. Yeah, their hamburgers are just. Too much grease, and there isn't enough balance. My favorite hamburger joint is uh, fast food is Burger King. I think they nailed Mine's the White Whopper. Castle. You're, yours is White Castle? Uh, oh my God. So delicious. The gastrointestinal fortitude you must have for that yeah. place. Yeah. Is, is, is there one up, me. up where you are? No. Where, where Ledgewood is, is the, the nearest one. Ledgewood? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't been to White Castle except for once. Hmm. I've never been. Yeah. What? <laughs> really? Because they're crazy. Yeah, they're that good. All right, um, Kels, do we have any listener shout-outs today? We sure do. This comes from Frey777. They write, I love the Prava First system and Mike's passion to see others succeed while simultaneously meeting people in their current struggle. Mike is authentic and caring, and best of all, his Prava First system works. I would highly recommend others try his system and start making profit in your business as well. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Frey. Frey. You're my Frey. (laughs) You're my best Frey ever. Um, thank you for saying that. And we love to get these things. So you can email Kelsey at K-E-L-S-E-Y at MikeMichalowitz.com. Yeah. Good luck spelling that one. But Michalowitz. But uh, send us your feedback on the show. Um, unless it's nasty and you hate our show, then just don't say anything. <laughs> uh, Kelsey, you know, we do have corporate partners that make this show a reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nextiva and Receipt Bank. And uh, maybe we'll... Maybe we'll Share actually some stuff they really do this time. Yeah. <laughs> I think so many times I've been saying, like, you know, true voice technology, cordless phones. It's really good they don't listen to our podcast. Yeah, those were all jokes. Receipt Bank does not prevent as well. You know, like, I say that as a joke, but I think this time we need to start explaining what they yes. really do. Because I listened to the last 12 episodes and I haven't mentioned once what they really do. <laughs> this is the episode will reveal it all. His name is Aaron Dignan, and he's the founder of The Ready. A global organization, uh, organizational transformation and coaching practice that helps companies large and small adopt new forms of self-organization and dynamic teaming. Aaron is an active angel investor and helps build partnerships between the startups and end-ups he advises. Ooh, I never heard of the term. I know, I love that. He is the author, and this is what we're going to discuss today, of a book called Brave New Work. It's coming out with in portfolio. That's my imprint at Penguin. And it's my honor to welcome him to the show. Aaron, welcome aboard. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. Look at that. Applause and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sometimes you get a hallelujah. Oh, there. You got it. There'll be you time got for it. that. Yeah, you, do. You, you, you arrived. Brave New Work. What does that mean? It's a very compelling title. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm a Huxley fan. Uh, my son's name is Huxley, so the, the title really came from him. Oh, cool. Um, 
I, uh, it's pretty simple, actually. I think the way we work for the most part hasn't changed in the last hundred years. It's, you know, it came from a factory floor, um, and all the hierarchy, command and control, bureaucracy, red tape policies, things that get in our way, make us feel less human, um, have kind of come to a boiling point. And the reality is that the world is a really fast changing place with really demanding customers and employees and participants in it. And it's time for something else. So we kind of have to step away from what we know and into the uncertainty of what we don't know, and that takes some bravery. So it's brave new work. Who, who facilitates the change? Is it the owners of businesses that need to embrace this, or is it the employees that kind of lead the revolt? It's a little bit of both, in my experience. I mean, we've certainly seen both. I think the people who hold power, whether in any institution, do have to reach a point where they realize, you know what, the way I get what I want, the way I, you know, we achieve our purpose probably isn't going to look like the way it has you know, looked in the past. And there has to be a, a moment where there's a willingness to change the way we get control, change the way we share power, change the way we, you know, kind of achieve uh, what we're setting out to achieve. And that has to come from the people that hold power or they'll slow us down. But um, anybody anywhere can start. I mean, we have an enormous amount of control over the way we work, even at the edges of an organization, even, uh, you know, all by yourself. Um, there's a lot of work that, that can happen. So it's kind of, uh, I think it's both and. So what's the vision that you have? What, what does the future of work look like? I think it's really just, um, it's built on two ideas, essentially. One is kind of uh, what I call people positive, which is this mindset that people are generally worthy of trust and respect. They are, you know, desirous of learning and growth and development. They're motivated by, you know, mastery and autonomy and purpose and, and meaning at work and things like that. And so um, they need to be in an environment that recognizes that and an environment where they can make their own decisions, um, you know, try things, take risks, fail from time to time, learn from that, um, make agreements with each other about how they'll show up and, and how they'll, you know, work with each other for each other. So that's uh, people positive. And then the second piece of it is what I call complexity conscious, which means accepting that the world is not nearly as predictable and controllable as we like to think that it is, um, that in fact, markets and organizations are quite you know, dense and rich with complexity and different people and desires and states and contexts. And, you know, it's a little bit more messy than, than what we're used to talking about. And so we need uh, an ethos that's a lot more about testing and learning, about trying things, about, you know, building capacity rather than ensuring some, you know, mythical idea of perfect execution. Okay. So maybe this applies to a business in the consultative arena. I'm just picking something but what, what if I do own a traditional manufacturer or a retail store where I need per people working the line, so to speak? Does this concept kind of apply to that community, too? I think it applies uh, everywhere. I mean, we have, we've really seen examples everywhere. You've seen Toyota do incredible things over the last few decades on the manufacturing line. We just finished up a, a project with a manufacturing facility in the pharma space in California that was incredibly fruitful. Um, you know, there's a brass auto parts manufacturer in France called Fabi that runs as a set of little mini, mini factories, mini enterprises where the employees are completely beholden to the customer and there are no, you know, kind of line managers or people breathing over their necks and they're incredibly profitable and successful. I mean, they're the only manufacturer that hasn't been outsourced to China really uh, in that category in Europe. But how do you bring about consistency? It almost to an extreme, it sounds like everyone has control over their own decision making this may remove the consistency of the organization everyone may deliver their own service offering uh, take their own direction how do we make sure there's a congruency in what we're doing 
well, I think where consistency is important, everybody's going to recognize that. So there's, I think there's a myth that somehow when we remove bureaucracy, we automatically get chaos. And I think that's not what I'm advocating at all, actually. I'm not advocating the complete absence of structure. Um, what I'm advocating is the minimum amount of structure so that people can use judgment. So if there needs to be standards, if there needs to be consistency, if we want you know Six Sigma quality off the line, then that's a constraint that we're all going to agree to and desire, and that's going to ensure our success then we'll design a way to get that and we'll agree to that together. So a lot of this is about the autonomy to consent, to say, yes, I agree. I'm willing to participate. I'm willing to play in this way that's going to serve us. Um, And part of it is about recognizing that sometimes when we wrap too much red tape around the handle, it backfires. And so one of the examples I talk about in the book is the difference between a lighted intersection and a roundabout. You know, a lighted intersection, red, yellow, green light, Mm. it has these assumptions that we need to tell everybody what to do and you can't be trusted and you stay in your place and comply. And we're going to need this elaborate system of controls and signals and algorithms to figure out how we're going to flow traffic around. The roundabout has a totally different set of assumptions. It assumes that we can be trusted and that we're accountable and that we're going to show up and be responsible in the circle. And there are just a couple simple rules binding all of our behavior. Go with the flow of traffic, give the right away to the people in the circle. And that's enough that for almost any imaginable scenario, the people in the circle can figure it out. What's interesting about the metaphor is that we have a thousand times more lighted intersections, but the roundabout is higher throughput, safer, cheaper to build and maintain, and works a hell of a lot better when the power goes out. And so as a metaphor for work, (laughs) right? And so as a metaphor for work, the idea is like, hey, maybe we need a few more roundabouts, you know, roundabout solutions to budgeting, to structure, to decisioning, et cetera. And maybe a few, you know, a few less on the, uh, on the lighted intersection front. And that's really the, the question that teams have to grapple with. So, and maybe I'm bastardizing the analogy here. So uh, my pushback is, can it go too far? I mean, I, I think roundabouts and circles are where there's low volumes of traffic. Traffic lights are necessary. And I'm doing air quotes because maybe you disagree, but is when there's this high volume of traffic and you must put everything to a halt and stop and have this order. Um, so does this method, does it translate into business? Are, are, you know, is it for smaller businesses that we have this dynamic environment, but if we have this GE or some behemoth organization that it falls apart? So I think a couple things are true. One, you've hit the nail on the head that there are different contexts where solutions need to be fit to, to the purpose, mm. right? So there's no question that, you know, you couldn't do roundabouts at every intersection in Manhattan or your land use would eat up all the space for the buildings, right? So like, there that's not going to work. Um, however, is it a thousand to one in the other direction? Probably not. And the reason that mm. we do it the way we do it is because we feel safer. We feel more comfortable in this, you know, compliant system than in the alternative that kind of puts the onus on us. And in fact, there are, I mean, there are roundabouts in places in Europe where there's incredibly high volume and they're seven lanes wide and they work great, actually. <laughs> they they don't always feel great. Sometimes they ask a lot of us, but they work very well. So I think that, I think that, that you know, you're right, there's, there's going to be different contexts. And, and the point, of course, is that every team at any scale, and I've worked with GE and everybody else, is what's right for this context, for this scale, for this decision. And sometimes the thing that we think is going to be the, the killer app even at scale, is wrong. So, you know, let's take something like a travel freeze. We're, we're spending too much on travel. What should we do? The lighted solution is travel freeze, credit cards are locked, everybody needs approval from their manager before they travel, we only travel with these preferred vendors, yada, 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 yada. And that immobilizes the firm, right? It slows us down, people can travel less, they're not making decisions in service of their customers, perhaps. There are, there are things that kind of get, um, you know, get frictioned. Uh, the alternative, the roundabout solution might be 
let's publish everybody's travel spend once a week transparently to the rest of the system and make them indexable, searchable, mm. you know, learn from that. And suddenly there's a social pressure. Suddenly there's an mm. awareness of, oh, look, Phil in accounting is flying first class. Why the hell is he doing that? Um, or, you know, maybe maybe Sally in accounting has figured out an incredible way to get these great deals because she uses some site we've never heard of. So there's knowledge transfer, there's sharing, there's awareness, there's consciousness, and all from a very simple solution to the problem. So the idea is just to weigh those and, and to experiment a little bit more with what might work. And, and see if we can find some solutions that enable us to, to be more adaptive and to be you know, more human at the same time. Our listeners are predominantly small businesses. It's one boss man, one boss woman, and there's maybe four or five employees. So th- I, I would presume many people live under a relatively regimented structure. The, the boss makes decisions. People follow and come back with more questions. Maybe some people, I'm interested in making a change from what you're sharing. How do we even go about about this, though, we have such an established way of how we've been doing things. Well, I think the good news for the listeners for a show like this is that you're probably already instinctually doing a lot of things right at that scale, right? A lot of this stuff creeps okay. in when you get larger. So you end up having functional silos and, you know, policies on top of policies from the age and size of the firm. So the good news is you're already you're halfway there. And in fact, if you get ahead of it now, you can avoid a lot of this pain by making good choices now. So um, what I typically invite teams to do, and by the way, I, you know, I was sitting around the table with five people two years ago. So we're, you know, we're not that much further in the journey now uh, at 30 people than we were then. So I really empathize with that. But the thing for, for leaders and, or any team member that, for that matter to ask the rest of their team is this question that's, that's actually on the flap of the book, which is what's stopping you from doing the best work of your life? It's the only mm-hmm. question you ever need to ask. And the answers will tell you where to go. So if you march into the office tomorrow and you say, what's stopping us from doing the best work of our lives? And the team says, we have meetings to prepare for meetings and we're wasting time. Or we're always waiting on you, Aaron, to make decisions. And we know what we want to do. We just need you to trust us. Or we don't have the information we need. We're trying to make all these decisions blind. Or fill in the blank, right? We don't have the tools. We're using the wrong software. We have the wrong... Who knows? They're going to say something. And then that becomes the basis of an experiment. And the experiment is... What's one thing we could try in the next one to eight weeks that would move us one step forward on that tension? And if it it doesn't have to be the solution, it doesn't have to be the end all be all thing. It's what's one thing we could try that'll move us one step forward, get everybody to agree to try it, and then check in at the end of that round and say, what did we learn? What changed? What do we need to do next? And continually invite that question and the answers as the guideposts. And if you're doing that on a regular basis, if you're kind of what I call looping on the organization's operating system on a regular basis as you scale, you'll avoid so many pitfalls and you'll invent some incredibly novel solutions to these problems that I'll probably write about in the sequel. <laughs> a little teaser for the future. Um, <laughs> Braver I, I really like that question. Actually, we have a yeah. retreat coming up in Nashville. Um, our company's going down, I think, because there's eight of us now or nine of us going. I think this would be a great exercise. What's the one thing stopping you? But now and I'm thinking about accountability. You know, the response, Aaron, maybe we, you know, if I didn't have to fill out these forms and, and do these processes, I'd have the freedom to do what I need to do, which may be true. The question is, what about accountability? How do we get that feedback loop so we ensure that we're moving the company forward and people aren't going down tangentials? Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, when you, you hit the nail on the head about feedback. We, we move from an economy in the organization based on position, right, a positional authority, to one based on reputation. 
right? Reputational mm-hmm. authority. What do you do for me? How are you? How, what, are, what are your outcomes? What are your, if you make an agreement or a commitment with me, are you going to follow through? Right. And if you don't, if you don't follow through with that and your reputation takes a hit, I may not, I may not agree with you on the next thing. We may not partner. I may not invite you. You may, you know, you may ultimately be asked to leave. So, so there are consequences. They're just social consequences from around us. And I think the word accountability is interesting because it, it has implied in it a kind of a top-down aspect. So there's a quote in the book from Pasi Salberg in, in uh, Finland where he says, we don't even have a word for accountability. We have the word responsibility, but we don't even have a word for accountability because that's not, that's not really something that we necessarily believe in. And so the idea is, I don't want to be accountable to someone. I want to be responsible to the purpose and to my calling and to my colleagues and to the agreements that I make. And it's a slight shift. It's a minor shift, but I think it's meaningful to say, that's how we want you to show up. We don't want to show you me to show up being afraid of me and what I might do if you fail or you don't live up to your, your hype. We want you to show up thinking about, I'm responsible to this company these colleagues, this purpose, this mission. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to be an adult as a result. And I expect to be treated as an adult while I'm doing it. And what about the boss? Um, you know, in our little business here, I'm the boss, and the problem is I have ideas and thoughts, and people feel necessary to – it's necessary to comply with what Mike says uh, because that's how you get your paycheck. And, and I don't think it's that rigid, but I think there's an inherent compulsion to comply with, oh, good idea, Mike. You're great. You know, And I could have the dumbest ideas, and I do, ever. How do we come past that, that – how do we make everyone an equal, an equal footing when someone's controlling the purse strings? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, let's let's give up the idea that we're ever going to be totally equal. So I think the reality is that reputation, experience, background, roles that we hold, you know, they're all going to create power dynamics. So we have to acknowledge that and say there are going to be dynamics, even if we all have an equal consent, right? Even if we all get to participate, even if we all get to shape our own, you know, what we do and where we do it and how we do it more more fully, there's going to be power. There's going to be influence and dynamics. So that's let's know that. So then let's just talk about the nature of them. And I think one of the things founders can do or leaders can do to minimize that impact and make sure that it's at least um, used deliberately is to say, rather than being one person with one role, let's describe the different roles that you hold and let's be clear who's talking. So for example, I hold a finance role in my firm. I hold a, obviously an author and kind of IP related role around theory. I hold roles in business development. I hold roles in, you know, kind of, um, creating some of our content, et cetera, et cetera. So when I make a remark, I'll often clarify who's talking. It's very rarely the founder. It's very rarely the majority shareholder. It's very rarely the boss. It's quite often like, oh, as finance role, I think that's a stupid spend of money. As Aaron, yeah, I kind of like it. Like it's creative, it's mm-hmm. interesting. I, you know, who knows? So let's debate it. But I want to clarify for folks who's talking because it helps them see. All right, there's he's a person holding a role in the firm whose job it is to look mm-hmm. from that perspective. But the other roles yeah. he hold might look from another perspective, and that's okay. And so, you know, not only should the boss do that, but we all should. We should sort of talk about which, you know, who is talking <laughs> and what does that mean, and and how do how do we then perceive what we're hearing. Aaron, these are fascinating insights. Uh, so much of this, actually all this plus so much more is in Brave New Work. Where can our listeners get a copy of your book? Well, currently it certainly is uh, in you know bookstores everywhere. Um, bravenewwork.com is the site we've created for you know the community and the conversation. And you can find your way to so many booksellers there. So that's probably the best place to start. 
Awesome. Great. And you also own a company, The Ready. So that's theready.com. We'll have that, the book link, uh, the gathering point for Brave New Work, all in our show notes. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us Thanks, today. Aaron. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Kels. So uh, that was Aaron Digman. Dignan. I keep on saying man. Dignan. You had one job. Yeah. And one job, and I messed it up. And uh, we're going to do a few more things. We're going to recap what Aaron shared with us, right? We have uh, a game we're playing today. And uh, do we have listener mail again? We do. Oh, my God. You can't touch that. Can't touch this. Um, okay. Then uh, first, let's thank our corporate partners, right? Yeah. Okay. What do they actually do? So you wouldn't believe this. A lot of people say, Mike, does does Next Eve do anything? And Because uh, they've listened to the last 12 episodes, and they've, they're just totally confused. So they do something. They're a voice over IP phone company. Do you have one of these phones, J-Bone? I'm waiting. You're supposed okay. to give me Let's get one for Jeremy. Um, they are amazing, right? We use them. I have one at home. Uh, it is a fully functional corporate, high-end, out-of-control system at the price point of you know, a commodity, inexpensive, affordable system. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and they also have a thing called NextOS. It's a CRM that integrates into your phone. So you don't need a CRM anymore. They, you can use uh, Nextiva to the point where you enter your customer's information, Jeremy, into NextOS, and it tracks them online automatically. It's just, this is true. You're rolling your eyes. This is true. It tracks them online, and it will notify you if they're a threat or at risk of losing them as clients. Absolutely huh. true. I'm not, yeah, now you're like- Like, is they're checking out your competitors? Is or they're talking badly about you. Oh. One of their niches they sell into are insurance uh, agents. And insurance agents have a renewal period, usually annually. It's the month or two before the renewal that's the most critical period of time. And the system will report saying, you know, customer is looking at competition or uh, is bad mouthing you on social media. It's called NextOS. And it's I, I'm not creepy. Bo- yeah. I've lied so much about what they do. It's like, yeah. I think this <laughs> Yeah, will- this sounds totally made <laughs> up, yeah. by the way. And they also yeah. have a hair messer system. No. So, no, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. So, NextOS. You can Google it. All right. Uh, and then re- Receipt Bank. Yeah. Scan in your receipts. Like, did you do your taxes yet? I know this is where- No, I, was, I wanted to do it this last weekend, and I just had other stuff going on. Yeah. I'm a poker tournament, by the way. I <laughs> yeah. All right. So you didn't yeah. want to comply with the law because you were breaking the law <laughs> and legally gambling. How'd it go? Good. Yeah, I didn't win, but it's... In, uh, you hosted? Game. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Poker, there's nothing better. It's Texas Hold'em you play? Yeah. And I, I bought tournament a table style? of Craigslist. Yeah, tournament style. Yeah, we were talking about that. 350 bucks. The winner got 350 bucks. And it was, a, it was a husband and wife, which was... That's why I was frustrated because I, it was me and them were down to the finals. And you can't play against... A husband and wife because yeah. they're playing as one team. They're not yeah, playing yeah, as individuals. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. I would I would actually revoke that. So next time I'm going to wipe her out first, and then it's just oh, that's good. Tell yeah. tell that to the husband. I'm going to yeah. wipe out your wife. Man. She's out. <laughs> yeah. Does uh, Receipt Bank work with uh, TurboTax? I don't know. Did you have to throw that one? The one question I told you never to ask me live <laughs> is does it work with TurboTax. I, don't I know. think I think it does. It has to, yeah, because all the, all the, all of those. Uh, so receipt bank, any anything you purchase, business related or otherwise, you scan it through receipts. It organizes it. It links it to your accounting software. I know it works with QuickBooks and Sage, and I think FreshBooks. I don't know about TurboTax. And uh, then when it comes to tax time, you have all your receipts available. If you ever have to to uh, get audited, God forbid. Uh, it will produce those things for you. And if you ever need to uh, do an internal audit, it's all there for you. And no more receipts in your wallet. And I know you actually keep a very thin wallet. Never carry a receipt around. What are you doing with the receipts? Are you throwing them away? 
No, I, I, um, the ones that I need, I'll scan into my computer if it's like a big purchase. Oh my god, how many days of work is that? It's, it's not that bad. It's horrible. If you had receipt bank, dude, you'd be done right. You do it while you're at the store. All right, Kels, what do we yeah. have now? Do you want to do listener mail now? Yes, I do. Okay, so this comes from Amy. She writes, we are on board to start Profit First. My partner and I have both read the book, and we are going to the bank today. One question. When do you recommend doing payroll? Do you recommend doing on the 10th and 25th of each month? Oh, great question, Amy. Um, do payroll whenever you feel is appropriate. Some employees uh, get paid weekly. Other companies do it uh, semi-monthly, twice a month, uh, or every two weeks, which is similar but not the same. And some do it monthly. Um, talk with your accountant what's the best. Often, the least frequently or the less frequently that you do payroll, the less cost you incur. So doing it once a month is often better, but it may not serve your employees. So the higher frequency you have in paying payroll is really to comply with the needs of your colleagues, your employees, but will co- increase your cost. We do it here twice a month? Twice a month, semi-monthly. Semi-monthly. Yeah. So we do it on the 15th and 30th? Yep, or okay. last day of the month. Yeah. So the payroll does not need to be in sync with your profit-first allocations. We, we do our profit-first allocations weekly, I think, right? Yeah. What, what, what day of the week do we do it? Usually Mondays or Tuesdays. Okay, Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. So it's not hard, fast. But then payroll is when? It could be any time later on. Right. So the money gets allocated out, goes to the expenses, you transfer into the payroll account, and it just sits there until payroll is processed. Exactly. That's simple. There you go, Amy. Oh, I got to do a music effect. You can't touch this. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah I shouldn't cut You want to dance Kill to me it? every time you yeah, do Yeah, I, I cut it too quickly. All yeah. right, well, let's do the takeaways for today. I want to know what your takeaway was. What was your takeaway? I really loved this. Um, I don't even know what I want to focus on. I'll say I think um, I loved the responsibility of each employee is to the purpose. It's not accountability, right? right? It's the responsibility to the purpose, to the mission of the company, to your colleagues, to the customers, right? It's that personal responsibility. And I love that. And I also really like that he mentioned that compliance is – a more comfortable way to do things, right? It's easier to just give somebody a task and they follow the task to a T as opposed to having onus yourself. Like you own this and you are responsible to us with the results, right? Mm-hmm. And I... how smart was it to do the, um, like the transparent travel expenses as opposed to just, you know, cutting off your, your ability without approval. Yeah. Like just put people on blast and get results. Yeah. 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 You know, the only thing, though, with that transparency is do other people say, oh, you know, someone's just flying first class. I I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah I want to do it. And, you know, and will you get a gossip kind of thing started? Like, what, But what, isn't that the responsibility, right? Like, if you're flying first class and it's jeopardizing the whole company. Yeah. That's, that's true. That's your responsibility to care about the company as a whole and what they're doing and to not be selfish in that way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Touche. Good point. What was your takeaway, Jay Boner? So really simple. I like the, I've worked for a lot of companies with a lot of levels of bureaucracy. <clears throat> and I think that uh, for big companies, they need to get in their brain that just because you remove a level of bureaucracy doesn't mean there's going to be chaos. And I think that yes. if, if companies think that nice, way, bro. then they'll, they'll work better. My takeaway was what's stopping you from doing your best work of your life? I thought that was a great question. I want to use that at our retreat. 
I like the concept of positional authority shifting to reputational authority, to your point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and oh, and the concept of the role you're playing. Yeah. I wonder if I could use that. I was almost picturing, what's that game you play where you put the headband on and or you sticker on your face? Yeah. Or your forehead with the name, like, you know, Yeah, you have Taylor to guess Swift. who you are, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I if I had Taylor Swift on my head, you guys would just look at me and go. Dunk, 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 dunk. I'm like, oh, style yeah. by Taylor yeah. Swift. I recognize that. <laughs> yeah. No, I 100 percent think that's so smart because it gives you the I don't want to say authority, but it gives you the freedom to express yourself from a, a role perspective as opposed to like I'm just telling you I really ixnay that idea. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm yeah. just explaining why from my you know finance perspective. Right. You know. Let's talk about this a little further. I also really like how. Um, when you're having a problem as a group, what's one thing we can do? Yes. And try, and then come back to the drawing board, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Good stuff today. Really good stuff. Yeah. Aaron Dignan, and he's uh, the author, again, of a book that you must have, Brave New Work by Portfolio. The reason I'm pushing it so hard is my same imprint. I wonder <laughs> if we have the same editor over there, too. Do you work? Hey, Aaron, do you work with Kaushuk by any chance? Uh, well, we've uh, we've spent some time together, but actually, uh, Leah is was my editor. So, oh, yeah. you got the good one, Kaushik. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I love Kaushik. Kaushik. He's my <laughs> man. Okay. All right. So here's the next thing we're gonna do. Should we do the game now? Yeah. Okay. Aaron, I want to invite you in to do this game. And uh, Kaushik, right. you choose though. There's one of two okay. games, so get prepared. One game we have is name the fake product. So these are three entrepreneurial products. Um, and one of them I've made up, and you have to guess which one. The other one is pure cheesy quotes. These are quotes, Aaron, you may be one of them, uh, from famous authors and people, and I insert my own cheesy quote, and you have to find the cheese. And there's a little, actually, <laughs> bonus that I'll tell you. So do you want to, Kels, play pure cheese today, or do you want to do... Pure cheese. Pure cheese, okay. So I'm going to give you guys four quotes, Ooh. and each of you are going to vote. Um, you have to pick... Now, there's, there's two things embedded in here. One of these quotes is mine. One is quote is from a fortune cookie. So that's a bonus. If you can pick mine, you win, but you also get bonus points if you pick the fortune cookie. Okay. Does that all make sense? No. Okay. Well, whatever. Oh, yeah. Just go with I'm it. I'm on board. You know what? Yeah. And I will reveal the names of the other people in just a minute after we yes. uh, pick it out. Here he is. Uh, first quote. Action. I got to do it in a, in, a, in a cooler voice. Action is the only way to make progress. Take action now. Don't wait for a convenient time. Okay, so that was quote one. This person said, action is the only way to make progress. Take action now. Don't wait for a convenient time. Okay. <laughs> Do I sound like a weather person? No. Better throw your glasses <laughs> on. There's rain in the forecast. Yeah. Megastorm coming through New York. It's a snow bomb Mattress and lanes. <laughs> Mattress and lane. And they're standing in like a, a foot of snow and it's just a drift. Next to is nothing. <laughs> All right, second quote. Success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Success usually comes to those who are too busy looking for it. I, I said success. Success usually comes to those who are too busy looking for it. Okay, ready for the next quote, guys? Bring Nothing on. is impossible to a willing heart. Nothing is impossible to a willing heart. Fortune cookie. And if Could you relax? <laughs> Maybe. All right. The fourth and final one. Don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Don't be good. <laughs> Don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. So um, we'll give uh, Aaron a little leeway here. He'll let him go last so he can kind of get gauge what the other 
group is thinking here. Jeremy, you're up first, man. Um, which one is the cheesy Michalowicz quote? And then the bonus, which one's the fortune cookie? The cheesy Mike quote is the first one. Action is the only way to make progress. Take action now. Don't wait for a convenient time. Is that accurate? Oh, I can't reveal. Oh, you can't yeah. say, okay. I can't re- which one's the uh, fortune cookie? Reveal. Okay. Uh, and then the fortune cookie is... Well, that was a tough. I was torn between two. I think I'm going to say number two. Success comes to those too busy looking for it. Okay. Okay. Got it. Kels, which one's the McAllowitz quote? Could you, pick, could you pick out the McAllowitz cheese? I couldn't. I'm just going to guess the success one. Okay. So this is the McAllowitz cheese. And which one's the fortune cookie, do you think? I say the willing heart one. Okay. Okay. Got it. Kelsey. Aaron, uh, which one do you think is my own cheese quote? I think I'm on the same page. I'm going to say uh, success. Number two is yours. Okay. Number three is the cookie. Number one sounds like Tony Robbins. (laughs) Which would be the ultimate cheese. Would be the ultimate cheese. Okay. So Kelsey and Aaron, you actually picked Henry David Thoreau. Success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. And uh, well, you're in good company. And uh, the fortune cookie, two of you got Aaron and Kelsey. Nothing is impossible to a willing heart. But heartburn will come from your Chinese food. And then the one that's my quote, Aaron mistook for Anthony Robbins. J-Bone nailed it. Action is the only way to make progress. Take action now. Don't wait for a convenient time. That's my own cheese. I knew that was you. I I, I didn't know the fortune cookie. I knew that was you. So just a funny backstory how this came about. uh, There's a guy named John Rulin. He wrote a book called Giftology. It's amazing. He sent me a set of knives out of the blue. Just said, enjoy this gift. I mean- Cutco knives, dude. Oh, they're sharp. Yeah, they're good. they are sharp. And and must no pun intended. Must have been like fifteen knives. And on there are these quotes. And it's like you know, uh, success is determined by your own determination. And like, like always, like cheesy quotes. I'm like, oh, these are such nice knives. It's a shame that there's these cheesy quotes. <laughs> to be ruined with the quote. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay. But I'm like, I wonder who wrote these quotes. They were all my quotes. <laughs> oh, all my quotes. Yeah, so I, I'm the cheese. I'm the cheese. Do you know? Do you know uh, the the circa what year that that quote was from? Your uh, action is the only. No, no, Mike. The Mike quote was it? Was that from the Mike toilet quote. paper entrepreneur? Yes, action is the only way. I knew it. You, oh, knew you it. should have guessed the book. That's from the toilet paper entrepreneur. I knew uh, that. that was 2008. Oh, I thought you just My... made it up now, like on the spot. Same. No, 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 no. These are all like like if you type in Mike McCallow's quotes on the web, like but. 30 or 40 quotes will come up. I'm, I pulled them from there, over. so they're legit. They're legit. <laughs> All right. We should have done the other one, the other game, because uh, I'm a bit embarrassed now. Kels, do we have anything else? Oh, listener mail? Did we do that already? Oh, we, we did. did it. We I think we're it. good, right? You, no, we have your- um, Oh, my entrepreneurial tip? Yeah. We got two minutes, so I got to bang it out quick. What's it called again? <laughs> it's called the elevation point. Elevation there you point. go. Elevation point. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Jackwad. You know, a lot. Of, here's my tip. A lot of people think I gotta do some music first to get excited. So a lot of people think that passion brings around success. Like, are you passionate about what you do? And my argument is, passion is a stepping stone, but not the solution. Passion brings about persistence. The definition of persistence is uh, persistence brings about success. So if you are passionate about something, don't expect that will automatically translate. I'm passionate about cooking. Realize that the passion for cooking brings about persistence. You will always want to cook. Look how that persistence can turn into a business. So there's a step in the middle. That's my tip. There's a really good argument that you got into about this. Um, With uh, uh, Diane Deutsch? No, 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 no. no. Uh, It it was an interview that we did a long time ago. Oh, it came Uh, to fisticuffs, right? 
No, no, oh. I can't remember her name. I drove her to the airport. You know who I'm, I'm talking. About. I, I just you can't remember her, her name. Airport. But anyway, your point, like your point, was it's not going to make you successful, but it'll help you push through the times that you that you need it because you care about it more. Did she did she yell at me? She yeah, yell? she disagreed with you. Yeah. I agreed with you. I thought it was a good point. Well, I agree with her. Whoever that was, I now agree with her. Yeah. You're, you're totally wrong. <laughs> I'm so wishy-washy. All right, do we have anything else, Kels? Is that it? Um, that's it. Take us that's out. It. Don't forget to subscribe and listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Yeah. And um, we're not doing any gifts or anything special right now for our podcast. Because I think we milked that for all it was worth. But we do have something cool going on. Mm-hmm. We're giving away a free copy of Surge, a wildly popular book that I wrote. You can get it on Amazon. When I say wildly popular, I'm making that up. But it's a popular book. Is that your newest one? <laughs> I said it's my newest one. It's like six books old. <laughs> it's my oldest book that no one's reading. Uh, available for free. You, I mean, you can get it on Amazon for like, whatever, 18 bucks, whatever you discount to. But you can get it for free at MikeMotorbike.com right now. All right. That's it. That's it. See ya. Bye, friend. <laughs>